0: Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about infertility. Today, we're going to be talking about the impact of over-the-counter medications on fertility and pregnancy. You know, we tend to think that over-the-counter medications are no big deal. I mean, they, anybody can buy them, right? So they must be totally safe. Well, we're going to find, we're going to dig a little deeper on that. Today, we're going to be talking with Dr. Kathleen Tucker. She is an embryologist with a doctorate in reproductive physiology and over 25 years experience as a professor and an IVF laboratory director. She now has her own consulting business, KE Tucker Consulting. Welcome, Dr. Tucker, to Creating a Family. I can't wait to dive in on this topic. Thanks,
1: Don. I'm really excited to talk to you about this too.
0: I am a person who really loves to dig into the research, and I found some interesting research which cited three reasons uh, why the over the the impact of over the counter medication on fertility was becoming an increasing issue and one that that healthcare providers as well as patients need to be thinking more about. One, they they noted that that people in general are taking more medication now than people in the past. Also, people are waiting longer to start a family uh, than, than previously, which is associated with greater medication use just because of age. Also, people who are, are experiencing, in general, more chronic disease at earlier ages, uh, and, and hence uh, taking both both more prescription and non-prescription medication. So taken together, these factors have increased the number of prescribed and over-the-counter drugs that people are, men and women are taking. At the time when they are considering or trying to conceive, or are or, or are pregnant, so does that fit? I know that you spoke at uh, on this topic uh, at the uh, large American Society of Reproductive Medicine meeting. Uh, did this this that what I was just telling you does that fit with the research uh, that you have seen as well?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, especially the part of oh you know they're over the counter medications. It's no big deal. That's actually. When I was thinking of an introduction to this topic, that's exactly what I was thinking. Oh, we take them for granted. Um, and mm-hmm. it, you know, over the years, our, our intake has increased substantially. Like, for instance, um, in the U.S., talking about men right now, men undergoing infertility, 68% of men 18 to 44 years of age and over 80% of men 45 and older are taking some kind of prescription or over-the-counter medication. And what's interesting is that, coincidentally, 26% of these men 40, that are over 45 years old are becoming patients for parents for the first time. And so they're taking all these medications and they're trying to start a family. So, you know, that's where the, there's the rub, as they say um so in, in for women the the statistics of how much they're taking in a non-pregnant state is not real clear probably as much as you and i are taking but for those women who are for instance pregnant i have a statistic that it was quite a, um an eye opener um, depending on who you read it can be anywhere from 90 to 94% of all pregnant women are taking some kind of medication and I don't even, and this doesn't count vi- vitamins or herbal supplements. So that's a that's a very high confounding amount of um, people taking drugs at a time when you think that that could be very detrimental.
0: Mm-hmm. And 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 so what we're going to do now is is try to dig into what we know and then what we don't know about how these medications uh, are impacting. Uh, uh, both the attempts to get pregnant as well as uh, as pregnancy and let me just stop and 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 point out that uh for the patients uh as always talk with your doctor about any concerns you have regarding both prescription and non-prescription medication however for the uh healthcare providers i think that the um the, the take home message is going to be to Come to an understand, find out what medications your uh, including herbal supplements but your patients are taking that it's going to be vitally important, and we'll circle back to that at the uh, at the end uh, because I think that we're going to learn more about which specific type of medications we need to be worried about now we're going to be talking about. Classes of of medications. We're going to be focusing on over the counter, but in some of these classes, there will also be prescriptions. And, and And when we have the and when the research has given us information about the impact from prescriptions, we will talk about that as well. And we're going to be talking about the impact in four. Different time periods. One, the impact on fertility, general, both female and male, uh, for people who have taken the medication in the past. Uh, Now, impact also impact when these medications are taken during treatment. Uh, And third, impact uh, when the medications are taken in pregnancy. And then fourth, impact on the child if the mother took the medication during pregnancy. Again, we won't have uh, information. There's not research uh, or definitive research on uh, all of the, all four of these uh, potential impacts for each class of medication, but that's the general approach we're going to take, and we're going to share what we know now from the research. All right, let's start by talking about non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, NSAIDs. They are a popular uh, pain reliever and and, and anti-inflammatory, obviously. And we've got, I think, five basic categories. One, aspirin. Two, ibuprofen. Three, naproxen. Four, uh, celecoxib. And five, acetaminophen. So uh let's talk in general uh um about those and I know uh that aspirin I'm going to let's save aspirin to the end because aspirin is a bit of a, a outlier and, and has some really interesting research about that. All right, so what do we know about uh starting in that first time period uh people who have taken these medications in the past. Let's say the I uh the 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 non the non-aspirin ones but the others. Uh, is any research indicating that uh, they can impact uh, female fertility?
1: The, um, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications, the, at least the research I came across uh, for healthy premenopausal women, is that what if you follow the manufacturer's recommendations, there isn't a direct fa- effect on, on anything that would affect your fertility. It doesn't affect ovulation rate. It doesn't affect... Um, your menstrual cycle length, uh, things like that. It doesn't affect your fertilization rate. Uh, just if you're healthy and you have no big, no, no conditions, you are of normal body weight, also very important. Um, and not taking a myriad of other medications that can conflict, then it, it should have absolutely no effect. And so, uh, in, uh, c- quite, uh, the contrary, is if you are having an indication where you need to take one of these NSAIDs then you're probably it's better for you in the long run to go ahead and and handle that fever and take care of that inflammation and reduce that pain than whatever minor impact it might have on on a, your fertility rate after that because these injury conditions can cause much more damage than the amount of medication a healthy woman would be taking.
0: So, what about during treatment? Um, a woman has come into treatment uh, and and is uh, beginning the treatment, and she is, let's say, both just a periodic or or a a routine. Uh, either one um, should are these medications safe for her to take?
1: Yeah, as far as I know, yes, it's not a big deal. Uh, in in our experience. Again, we'd rather have, she's taking a lot of hormones. She's, um, you know, she's pre, she's menopausal one day and then hyper stimulated the next. She's estrogen poisoned. Her, her system is going all over the place. Estrogen is an, an, an inflammation modulator. So, it, you know, she can, she'll have headaches. She'll have body aches. It, it, it's everything. So if she can take, um, some, you know, some Tylenol to reduce that. It would, calm her down. And that will help a lot. Um, in this period of time, um, and as, if she's not smoking, smoking is a big one, but we're not talking about that today, but in a healthy woman beginning, uh, infertility treatment, her, her biggest adversary is stress anything she can do to minimize physical and emotional stress she should try and do now we're not talking handfuls of tylenol or ibuprofen or anything like that following the the manufacturer's um mm-hmm. recommendation recommended dosages try and use as little as possible and um i'm going to mention acetaminophen because that is the one that is considered the most safe it has a, a, a lower um blood thinning component to it. So that's usually the first line of defense for any kind of inflammation or pain or analgesia. So
0: would that be the same now that we were talking in treatment would that also be the same as pregnancy as well?
1: Yes, yes. Um, That's the most highly recommended um, analgesic for uh, during pregnancy. And I think I have a statistic for you on that one, somewhere around 65% of pregnant women take uh, acetaminophen.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So we've had a long time, a lot of research uh, on uh, acetaminophen. And, and as far as the others, if you have been taking it in the past, obviously you check with your doctor. But if you have been taking that in the past, uh, ibuprofen, naproxen, uh, Celebrex, any of those, then the, there would be, you check with your doctor, but you might well be fine if your doctor says it's okay taking as prescribed or as, as a direction, say, on the bottle
1: absolutely these um the ibuprofen is still the the jury's a little bit out on that as far as during pregnancy it has a an fda um, categorization of c or d and they do recommend not taking it in, in the third trimester of uh, pregnancy for some reason i could not find that study um, so it might be that if you if your headache can be alleviated by Tylenol which is more highly recommended and that's a category B medication which means that it there's no um well known studies in humans but animal studies show no adverse effects on the fetus uh risks i mean the benefits outweigh the risks it's considered safe during pregnancy um ibuprofen is still considered safe during pregnancy if that's the only thing that's helping you with with fever with headache with a migraine um if if you're getting relief from that at the normal dosages, the FDA would still say if the benefits outweigh the risk, it's safe to take. It hasn't. It's not a category X, which means you know put this put the skull and crossbones on that bottle. So, <laughs> okay, uh,
0: and and let us. Uh, I think that people probably know this, but. Uh, when we speak of ibuprofen, the brand names would be Advil and Motrin. When we speak of naproxen, the brand names would be Aleve, Anaproxen, uh, Naproxen. How do I say that? Naproxen? Naproxen. 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 And uh, Celecoxib is Celebrex. And then, of course, acetaminophen, the, the Tylenol. So those are the uh, brand names uh, for uh, people to to clear them in. All right. So what about, uh, these have been around for a while, particularly uh, um, ibuprofen and acetaminophen have been around for quite a while. Any indication uh, from the studies you've seen that there is an impact on the child if the mother took any of these medications no. uh, during pregnancy? No. Okay. no. So, There's
1: been no follow-ups on, um, on childhood health from, from uh, women taking these particular NSAIDs. Not, nothing that stands out now
0: all right so now what about men uh anything again we're going to we're saving ash and we're going to be talking about that in a minute what about men um with these other insects
1: well um interestingly um their biggest problem tends to be with Tylenol where it's quite reversed in the women um there's been some studies that shown um it can affect seminiferous tubule morphology where the sperm are produced um this is in of course in animals in rats uh, it's hard to see that in men, um, but you'll see they have shown more significantly, um, more abnormal forms and more sperm DNA fragmentation in human in humans. Um, um, taking Tylenol can lower the motility already in infertility, infertility patients. Plus, there seems to be a significant time to pregnancy lag period for men who have been taking chronic. Um Tylenol or acetaminophen, so and they think that it might have something to do with testosterone synthesis so it that's interesting it has um it it's a in a normal, healthy male that produces a billion sperm per ejaculate not going to be an issue if you are if you're undergoing infertility treatment because you have a male factor issue, yes, it's important to pay attention to these things.
0: So, for a normal man a, a slight impact on the uh motility would probably not matter because there are so many sperm but but for someone who are for unexplained are for actually anyone it seems to me coming into treatment so what is the preferred uh medic uh inset for uh men uh, for women, you said it's acetaminophen, but what about for men
1: um well, uh, again, quite the, the opposite of women. Ibuprofen has probably the least studies that show any detriment in, in, in humans, and there's only one animal study, and otherwise it's, there's nothing done in human. There's, no, there's nothing adverse about ibuprofen, so it's probably the safest for men.
0: Um, Fascinating. Okay, and, and let's just keep in mind that what we're speaking of is taking it as prescribed because ibuprofen does have an impact on other parts of your body. Uh, we're speaking only about, I mean, liver and others. So we're only speaking about the impact on, um, on fertility. Correct.
1: Taken as All directed. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Taken as directed. And keep in mind that a lot of times what people don't realize is some of the uh, cold medicines and other, or even headache medicines are actually a combination of, of, of NSAIDs. And so you need to read the ingredients on anything you're taking to see the quantity you're getting. Cause you may be thinking, well, I'm I'm, I'm not taking Tylenol, I'm taking uh, Excedrin, and actually Excedrin, um, I believe, has Tylenol in it. So Exactly right. All right, so now let's talk about aspirin. We saved aspirin because aspirin is special. Uh, so what do we know about aspirin? It's probably, it, not probably, it is the oldest uh, of, of all of the NSAIDs.
1: Mm-hmm. It's, um, yeah, it's acetyl salicylic acid. Um, I guess we all know Bayer aspirin. I mean, that's been around since i you know—I was a child, so Lord knows that's a long time ago. Um, <laughs> and it has um, it has two main effects: one, as an inhibitor of platelet aggregation, so it increases blood flow and circulation. So people who have had um, any kind of arterial disease, blood flow disease, they will take aspirin. Now, we're, and uh, and that will help with with circulation to their extremities. Um, it also is an anti-inflammatory, so if you have an injury or a headache or pain or swelling, aspirin is very effective in reducing the inflammation. Um, but what's come to light recently, and it sort of um, stems from the work with um, cardiac patients who, have, who are had, who have chronic cardiac disease they have a higher level of uh, inflammation due to their cardiac issues. And they found that low-dose aspirin, which is like a baby aspirin, 81 milligrams a day, as little as that, can substantially reduce their chance for any kind of major cardiac event. And so going with this, there's been some really nice research looking at low-dose aspirin, both on the circulatory side and on the uh, the anti-inflammatory side.
0: Um, but most, but but and let me stop because most women, although we are uh, waiting later to start families, most women have not waited so late. where and it, it's cardiovascular issues are relatively rare in the reproductive age, childbearing female population. Well,
1: let me tell you some other um, causes of a chronic inflammation in women that will affect their childbearing issues. And for instance, um, it can impact steroidogenesis. So. Um, the making of your of estradiol it can affect the meiotic and cytoplasmic maturation of the oocyte resulting in low fertilization rates it um and of and low ovulation rates overactive inflammation um has contributed to preterm birth pregnancy or spontaneous early pregnancy loss gestational diabetes and preeclampsia these are all inflammational inflammatory states that we live with all the time. Pregnancy is a low-level inflammatory state. Um, But the reason I bring up the cardiac uh, patient is because they found that um, there's a marker for the level of inflammation that you're undergoing, and that is the high-sensitivity C- c-reactive protein it's a biomarker of the level of inflammation if this marker is high your level of inflammation is high if and and you will get the most benefit from a low uh, dose aspirin therapy if your inflammation marker is low not such a big effect and and this is done in patients as well and we see some some Improvements, significant improvement in clinical pregnancy rate and live birth rate in these patients that have this this high serum marker. So it's um, we learned something from our cardiac patients that does affect um, human reproduction. And other sources of of inflammation are are any of the autoimmune diseases, lupus for instance, rheumatoid arthritis. That Mm -hmm. you know that that you can get that as a child, and you're living with a um, a low a chronic level of inflammation all your life and if this level of inflammation is elevated for some some reason that can even lead to certain cancers so it's important that low dose aspirin therapy is is kind of a big deal i was uh i was convinced
0: <laughs> yeah although there's uh, been some recent uh, in the news anyway uh, discussion about it not being used uh, over the board, uh, just across the board, because the benefits necessarily, because there was some risk associated. Yes, with, of course. Uh, yeah. But the I, I've read some interesting research um, a year or two ago about increased success, and it seemed like it was fairly significant, um, with frozen, embry- uh, uh, frozen FETs, frozen embryo transfers, uh, where the woman was not going through a Egg retrieval cycle, but uh, was coming back after the eggs had already been retrieved and, and embryos had been created, and they were being transferred uh, uh, into her uterus. And that uh, low dose aspirin uh, was effective. And I, uh, are you familiar with the research I'm talking about? Yeah,
1: it's um, it was a very nice study uh, done in Iran, actually, and it's a double blind study. Coincidentally, know all about it, and they um, this was yeah during their FE, their frozen embryo transfer, so they did have some uh, hormonal stimulation beforehand, but mostly just to synchronize the uterus uh, with the stage of the embryo that's being transferred. And they showed a significant improvement in in live birth rates, not just in, uh, implantation rates, but in live birth rates over patients who did not receive this low dose aspirin treatment and they would have started right the the month that they were be considering the transfer um so th- that was very compelling and this would probably um cater more to ask they, they believe that this effect of the aspirin had to do with increasing the local circulation of the uterus um uh, mm-hmm. there, there has been in historically, and I know people who've done this, patients who have difficulty conceiving, not conceiving, um, 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 having an implanted embryo and carrying a pregnancy, um, they would be um, prescribed uh, injectable heparin. And heparin, as we all know, is a potent blood thinner. And mm-hmm. this had some positive effects. So there, there is some basis to this thought process that it isn't just out there. Oh, let's try some aspirin. And for these particular patients, this seemed to help quite a lot. Um, another study that was done earlier, they, they did the same thing only with fresh embryo transfer, and they saw no result. Um, but then later, a, a meta-analysis, which is an analysis of several studies together, it increases the power. So there are more... There are more um, Patients included, there was significance in the clinical pregnancy rate, not necessarily in the live birth rate, but they're starting to see it. The more patients they get, the more you start to see maybe there's something to it also in um, the fresh transfer. The problem with the fresh transfer is these women are really poisoned by hormones. So you're counteracting estradiol and that's your biggest inflammation modulator, as I mentioned before, and that's a, a hard one to overcome. So it it's, it might be that you need more patients to show an, an effect, and you know it's 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 interesting, and it, at least they've showed that it doesn't hurt. If it might help, why not? And it's it beats getting heparin injections.
0: Well, that's for sure. Uh, but the uh, so again, this is something from a patient standpoint mm-hmm. to talk with your doctor about. Um, your reproductive endocrinologist about and if uh, you know and for the medical professionals it's certainly worth uh, researching further the research exactly uh, yeah to see how that whether or not it's something that you want to recommend for your patients. yeah absolutely
1: we need more we need more carefully controlled studies and maybe you know try to repeat the frozen transfer studies perhaps in 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 our clinic in Holland, where I used to work many um a few years back um we um use natural cycle um frozen embryo transfers, so these patients they would ovulate and then we would synchronize from there and this would really be the type of patient you'd want to you know um carry on this study yeah,
0: yeah interesting all right, so now we've talked about women uh with uh impact of fertility on women um uh, with aspirin. What about men anything we know about the impact what aspirin does for the fertility of a male
1: it's it's not heavy there's one study that showed um a decrease in testosterone production by the leydig cells um and um and another, uh, another hormone uh, reduction by the Sertoli cells. These are the two cells that line the seminiferous tubules and and produce testosterone and nurture sperm production. And um, so there is a moderate disruption in the normal endocrine profile at the level of the seminiferous tubules. Again, for a healthy male, not an issue if he likes aspirin. He can take an aspirin once in a while. If, if you have five sperm, maybe an issue. You know, if we're reducing your numbers even further, and if, even if we're going for the, the procedure called ICSI, which is intracytoplasmic sperm injection, you need to have a few to choose from. And, um, and in, at least in, in, in Europe or at least in Holland, these sperm had to be motile. Not just alive, because you can have living sperm that don't move, but these sperm have to be modal. So anything that will disrupt motility or numbers and sperm, especially in like I said, in these highly infertile patients, you will just say stop taking them. Absolutely. Find an alternative. Or have a mm-hmm. headache.
0: Yeah, it's it's worth for the uh for the short term, uh of particularly from the man's standpoint. Correct. Okay, excellent. Let me pause here to tell you about uh, this. This show is underwritten by Faring Pharmaceutical, and they want you to know about an app called Ferticom. It's an app for your phone, either Apple or Android, developed by reproductive psychologist Dr. Ali Domar and Dr. Elizabeth Grill. Uh, both have been on this uh, show. They are—I I like them both so much. Uh, and they designed this specifically to help women address the challenging emotional situations that infertility can, can bring. And uh, they, they use cognitive, cognitive behavioral and relaxation techniques. It's a great app. It is free. You can get more information about it at Ferticalmapp.com. F-E-R-T-I-C-A-L-M app.com. All right. I want to talk now, let's move to talking about a different class of drug. Uh, let's talk about antacids in general. And, and, and I also would include in that proton pump inhibitors, uh, so, uh, um, which are, again, both over-the-counter as well as uh, prescription. So antacids, let's talk about what they're for. And then um, let's go through the four uh, areas that we're looking at impact. Uh, First of all, so what is, I think most people probably know, but uh, what are the different types and classes of antacids?
1: Well, you sort of mentioned that there's the, um, the histamine blocker, it, it, these, um, medications act by binding to the histamine 2 receptor as opposed to the antihist normal antihistamines like for um, allergic rhinitis and, and hives and the like, um, this binds to the H2 receptor. And basically what it does is it prevents um, gastric acid production f- by the, from, um, by the gastric mucosa of the stomach. And um, that's, those are the the histamine blockers, and uh, common ones are Tagamet, Zantac, Pepcid, and then the other type you mentioned, the proton pump inhibitors. These act a little more downstream, inhibiting the the um, potassium proton uh, pump that also participates in the secretion of um, gastric. Juices in the, uh, in the stomach. And uh, these are considered to be slightly more effective. And some of these you might have heard of is Prilosec, or Prilosec OTC, Nexium, and Privacid.
0: Okay. Now, let's start with how these might affect the general fertility of women.
1: Well, very honestly, uh, as far as in the non pregnant state, there's uh, no significant impact on ovulation fertilization anything like that that i've seen in the in the literature the big impact is during pregnancy if there is an impact um basically they are considered safe to use and but there are some and it, there there were no big differences between whether they were the histamine receptor blockers or the proton pump inhibitors
0: Okay, so you're saying that from a fertility standpoint, research really has not found that the either of the histamine blockers are the proton pump inhibitors, uh, the two classes of an acids There really isn't an impact on female fertility. And during pregnancy, they're considered safe as well. Yes,
1: um, actually, especially the the H2 receptor um, inhibitors, so Tagamet, Santac, Pepsid, they're considered category Bs, very safe. Um, but interestingly, um, a few mm-hmm. studies showed that there are no differences between the, um, the receptor blockers or the proton pump inhibitors on during pregnancy. So even though their categorization is a tiny bit different, uh, they're still considered safe and that the benefits outweigh the risks during pregnancy. Okay. And if I may interject, there's actually one sure. study where, they were concerned that in older adults, um, the use of anti, what they call anti-reflux agents, which is essentially what we're talking about here, um, it could contribute to osteoporosis or fragility fractures later in, you know, in life. Mm-hmm. And so there, there was a study done, not necessarily on the woman, but on her child. And they found that these anti-reflux agents not only did not contribute to a higher incidence of fractures, but there was actually significantly fewer fractures in these children when compared with control patients who did not take anti-reflux agents.
0: So there you go. There you go. Um, Well, that's a shocker. I would not have have anticipated that. Would not
1: either. That was like, really? And why? And I'm thinking the mechanism of action, but that's for another time.
0: Yeah, well, that's what I'm thinking too. I was trying to figure out why. And we should point out that uh, one study does not a uh, uh, conclusion necessarily make. So uh, we we uh, find it interesting. But whenever whenever I see a study like that, I am dying to see it repeated because and, and with larger groups, of course, just because I, that's fascinating and and. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm keeping my fingers crossed that somebody is doing the research on that.
1: Well, and and, um, and also that the the patients have been um, conscientious enough to to keep up with it and to stay in touch and to continue to send in feedback and information because that's the hardest thing with these long term studies, um, soci- sociology studies is that they are you lose touch with the patients, they just lose interest and and. There are quite a lot of um, patients included in these studies, so there's something, there's something going on. It's worth another look. But as you said, you're absolutely right. One study does not uh, um, dogma make, but the other thing too is that the point is it's not if it's actually it's not only is it not detrimental, it may even be helpful on some level. So that's how we have to look at it.
0: All right, let's talk about the men then uh, impact on fertility for men. We'll talk both about the histamine blockers as well as the proton pump inhibitors, which are the two classes of antacids. I don't have
1: information on the on the proton pump inhibitors, but I do have it on the H two receptor antagonists, and it it's very much medication dependent. Um, here we looked at Tagamet, Zantac, and Pepcid, and the one with the biggest problems is Tagamet. And I've heard I um, there was some. There were some, some reports many, many years ago, um, 30 years ago, that tagamid, at least the uh, the prescription form, um, caused erectile dysfunction. So there is something to the, some of these uh, studies. Uh, more recently, just looking at the effects on sperm, we see things in decreased number, um, decreased uh, uh, quality, uh, uh, lower viability, lower testosterone, more DNA damage, um quite a lot of, of work. And and half of it's done in uh, these are studies in humans as well, not just animals. So this is um this is one of those um uh, medications where you would say, you know what? Let's take something else. Let's take maybe some peptobismol instead of this stuff. Because this is very detrimental to sperm. I, I see this and I would actually recommend to my patients don't take this.
0: So that's Tagamet, and so Tagamet. Tagamet. Would, mm-hmm. So Zantac or or Pepcid um, um, would be. It the would be preferred. A, yes, be preferred.
1: and both of them. Um, nothing real substantial. So you know the conflicting data nothing where you can say oh yeah that's a real problem and so again it's one of those um, situations where benefits outweigh the risks um, those two would be perfectly fine if you're undergoing infertility treatment if you're not entanglement works for you well then of course okay again in high dosages you know that whole erectile dysfunction issue
0: could be a big problem yeah I mean, erectile dysfunction can impact fertility obviously <laughs> um, the uh, all right so now we've talked about the antacids Let's talk about antihistamines. Um, what uh, there are different classes of those. If you could explain what the different classes are, and uh, and and how they differ as far as their mechanism of working, and then and then let's talk about the impact starting with female fertility.
1: Okay, yeah. Um, antihistamines work by binding to the H1 histamine receptor and blocking histamine release uh, and, uh, and histamine function. And histamine is a is is a, a modulator of inflammation. So anytime you can, and 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 the results of the inflammation can be anything from a runny nose, itchy eyes, to um, you know anaphylactic shock. So it, it, it's it's a very broad range of effects by histamine. So um, we have two generations of H one receptor antagonists, and the first one is called generation, the first generation. And the first generation includes um, uh, medications like clortrimetone or Benadryl. And these um, molecules can cross the blood-brain barrier and uh, resulting in sometimes somewhat adverse reaction, such as drowsiness.
0: So, oh my gosh! yes
1: <laughs> yeah, and some some people like it if you're flying and and they'll take a benadryl and go to sleep um or or in advil p m or any of the p m medications you were talking about combinations um mm-hmm. there will be diphenhydramine mixed in with your analgesic, so you you your headache's gone, and you want to go to sleep so um but they are both considered category b by the f d a so seemingly um uneventful during pregnancy so uh not a lot of result not a lot of research if you're trying to get pregnant and taking antihistamines again it's I keep it's going to be this is going to be my mantra that the benefits outweigh the risks so the um the next group is something we're much more con, um uh, interested in and those are the second generation antihistamines and these are the quote unquote non-drowsies things like allegra the Zyzal, Zyrtec, Claritin, uh, and they are the ones that are most often pres- recommended would be um, Claritin and Zyrtec. These are both class B. And um, they they're both of them have shown no adverse um, effects for the fetus, for the mother, before pregnancy, during pregnancy. And I found one, there's a paper and I, for some reason, I couldn't, I couldn't access the whole thing, but there's been a lot of mention that Zyrtec actually helps with the nausea and vomiting during pregnancy, during the 4M um, in, in, um, morning sickness. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. And that was the one I, when I went into this chat room, I was curious because they were talking about it. And one woman said, are you sure it's not, something else and said no no zyrtec you know for sneezy you know for the sneezy's runny eyes and she says it works like a charm and and i read this and in, in a few um peer-reviewed publications and they also mentioned this and i thought well that's something to and there's a paper written that was written in 2000 and um they they don't the, the online you could just get a little snippet of it but not much on the mechanism of action so i i have to try and persuade them to let me buy it they, Giving me some trouble with it, but it's um, but it, those are most. For, long story short, the antihistamines as a group, whether they're first or second generation, are safe.
0: All right, so then let's talk about and that's safe. And, and I'm assuming that there has been. Um, we've talked about pregnancy, but uh, there has. Uh, I would have been assuming that there's no research that would indicate that children born of mothers who took either Gen One or Gen Two histamines. Um, have had uh, any adverse reports?
1: No, I have seen nothing that, that mentions anything that affected the
0: child. Okay. Now, let's turn to the men. Um, okay. Yes. Antihistamines. Either, let's start with Generation 1, which again, that we think of, of that being the drowsy ones, which Benadryl is the one that uh, comes to mind.
1: Okay. Um, there is some effect about... Um, some. There was some research on Benadryl. So, there was... Uh, Benadryl can affect viability of sperm, um, and not, but that's, motility, not motility. Not but motility, viability. viability. So you would have more dead sperm. Yeah, hmm. and um, and that's it. Um, Chlortrimeton. There was no research on that whatsoever. So the the the, the first gens not terrible. You know, but there are other options available. For the second gen, the only one that um, that actually had a positive effect was um, Zyrtec. And they showed that the, um, um well, actually, no, I'm saying it incorrectly. Zertec, once they stopped taking it, um, their their semen analysis improved. Mm-hmm. So it did have some effect on the number of sperm available. And they think that it has something to do with the Sertoli cell itself, that it affects the cell that, that nurtures the sperm during its development, and they, um, that these cells start to die when you're taking a Zyrtec.
0: And it occurs to me from the, from the healthcare provider standpoint that uh, what this tells us is the importance of getting not only the information on the, the woman, um but also the information on what type of medications the the man is taking
1: absolutely especially yeah. if he's the if, if he's the culprit if he's the if the 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 infertility situation lies with him then then absolutely but even if he's just you know middle of the road you don't want to you don't want to set him up to fail and anything that affects the dna of the sperm we would even if it was just an animal work we would recommend that they stop taking that particular medication, switch to something else, because we do have, especially with the antihistamines, there are others to choose from. And and let them, and and, and then wait three months, because three months is, is approximately one spermatogen, spermatogenic cycle. And at the end of the three months, you have a whole new set of sperm that don't have that DNA um Degradation because uh, there there are procedures where well we don't need a lot of sperm and they, and they don't have to be supermodal as long as they're still alive, if there's something wrong with the DNA then uh that then injecting the sperm it does serves no purpose you're you're taking um right. an abnormal sperm and creating right. an abnormal embryo with it so right
0: and the chances of that embryo implanting and growing into a healthy baby are very small, so yes exactly so and so going back did i understand you that the the only uh the only one that showed that researches has said you would choose, you should not use would be zyrtec
1: that's the has the biggest effects um as far as i can tell yeah the the don't. St- the the research is 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 sparse If there, if, if there's anything at all, um, the one that has absolutely no information on it is Allegra. So then I, you know, you have a, a a patient who has terrible allergies. I would just say, "Eh, switch to Allegra for three months. And, and, you know, there are other options. Now, the one thing that we didn't discuss with, with women that's, is important with men are what they call mast cell inhibitors, And these are also um, antihistamines by blocking the source of histamines, which is mast cells. And they can actually have a a restorative effect on sperm. So, in men who have, it it does seem to promote better spermatogenesis.
0: What are some of the brand names of the mast cell inhibitors? um,
1: These are actually not over the counter yet, but they might be eventually. But um, for instance, one is Tranlast. Another one is called Zatador. I think that's in. it might be available here, but it's available also in Canada, and um, and those two um, are, are the biggest ones. There aren't so terribly many of those because uh, they're they work well, but they're not as fast acting as the uh, as the histamine blockers are.
0: All right. Let me pause now to remind you that this show is brought to you by the support of our partners. And these are organizations and clinics who believe in our mission of providing unbiased, medically accurate information to the patient community. And some of our wonderful partners include Shrafts 2.0. They are a specialty fertility pharmacy that believes pharmacy care can and should be remarkable. All employees, from their pharmacists to their shipping coordinators, understand the stress of fertility treatments and are trained to treat customers with dignity, empathy, and respect. And we also have Cryos International, both sperm and egg bank. They are dedicated to providing a wide selection of high-quality, extensively screened, frozen donor sperm and egg from all races, ethnicities, and phenotypes for both home insemination as well as fertility treatment. They are the world's largest sperm bank and the first freestanding, independent egg bank in the United States. All right, I want to talk now. Let's about some dermatolo- dermatological products. Now, that's an interesting one because I think that oftentimes we think of over-the-counter medications as being that a pill that we take. Um, and uh, so, when we're, we're now we're moving into talking about uh, dermatological products is that anything that we need to worry about is that considered over the counter
1: yeah um they're only over the counter at at these concentrations what i've what i've read and um it it doesn't the the biggest concern was not prior to pregnancy but during pregnancy that certain ingredients need to be um you need to be cautious about them and there is um an organization Called the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and they have uh, a website that uh, outlines which products are safe and which products uh, should be avoided during pregnancy. Like, okay, here's um, and I and I read a couple there are a couple um, articles. One was um, an article that was trying to raise awareness to warning labels on these creams. For instance, there um, there is a well, some women have problems with what they call melasma, or getting dark spots during pregnancy, and so they will use these skin bleaching products. And mm-hmm. one of these creams that's um, that's available has something called hydroquinone in it. And hydroquinone, and this of course is right now studies in animal studies, is highly carcinogenic. And uh, there's been some not studies necessarily but investigations in humans and the results are kind of inconclusive but if you can avoid using a cream that's carcinogenic while you're pregnant uh, and we're talking carcinogenic effects on the fetus by the way not just to the mother and um, that maybe you would avoid taking these uh, th- these medications and in addition this is we are talking about category x there's something here that actually could probably be included in category x you know, there are many creams available now that have um, vitamin A um, precursors in them you know, retinoids, retinoic acid, um, anti-wrinkle cream, for instance, and, sure, and exactly. some women and some women like it for stretch marks and stuff. Well, the retinoids are actually very um, um, detrimental to the fetus, and there's one form of it called isoretinoin. and this is this results in severe birth defects. In fetuses, uh, mostly neurological, so it leads to intellectual and brain disabilities and defects. So this is a big one that even the FDA says, avoid at all costs. do not use this
0: and this is so, over the counter our perspective. Yeah, yeah wow yeah uh,
1: do so, you know a
0: do you know a brand name with that no
1: I didn't didn't get that far. I'm sorry to say, but again it's, it's what you mentioned earlier. read the label.
0: Right, read the
1: label. and um there are a list of of, of ingredients that are perfectly safe um benzoyl peroxide um azale, azale, acid i'm not sure what that is salicylic acid topically also not a problem and glycolic acid these these are all things that will also help bleach the skin and you know get rid of some of those dark spots but those are those are safe to use
0: and could you please say the the uh, the website again that lists the dermatological products.
1: Yeah, if you uh, if you if you, right. if you go online and search for the American College of Obstet- Obstetricians and Gynecologists, they will have um, their frequently asked questions, and it's frequently asked questions number one six nine, and uh, it will tell uh, give a list of things that are safe and unsafe at, during pregnancy, and the creams are one of them in that. Um, uh, but a uh, um, a study led me to that website. So that's how I found it. I said, all right, well, let me see what else they have in there. So it's very informative. You know, these little things are, they can be very helpful to patients as well. And as also, this is something that maybe um, the healthcare provider can have maybe on the pamphlet and say, hey, if you have any more questions, just go ahead and, and click onto this website. And this has been fairly well shown by not just by government officials but by um, people who deal with um pregnant women all the time
0: and and it and it's also a word of warning to uh, healthcare providers to suggest creams that they people, that their patients may be using because honestly most people don't think of of their anti-wrinkle cream and uh uh, as as being a over the counter medication, nor, nor do they think of of, of a bleaching substance for uh, pregnancy dark spots. As a uh, so, it, it behooves the medical profession to be to ask, you know, to to, to specifically ask to help trigger um, ideas whether or not that matters. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, before we move on to talking about herbal supplements and vitamins, um, are there any other Medications that we need to know about that would impact fertility before or during treatment or uh, let's let's focus on those two
1: you know there there're the one thing we um we could spend hours discussing as well is if we started talking about prescription medications. The list is we'll go to the moon and back um Again, with all with any of these medications, I, I know for a fact that certain um, certain um, antidepressants in men will cause their sperm membrane to be altered in such a way that they don't bind normally to to the egg. Uh, this is a problem. It can be alleviated by the ICSI procedure because it doesn't seem to affect the DNA of the sperm. But they will if you're trying to do normal insemination or regular IVF, you need to know what kind of antidepressant your husband is on, if he's on any. And if he can get off it for a short term, because it is reversible, that's the joy, then he can stop it. There's also the same situation with certain beta blockers in men. That's the biggest problem we find is that it's in men. Um, it does have an immediate effect on the actual binding of sperm, and which you can test. Uh, again, Maybe they can go to an alpha blocker or some other kind of hypertensive medication that doesn't affect their sperm and for three months and you know, but if in the case that that uh, they're on a specific medication and they cannot change it, there are doctors says you cannot just switch like that, then we can offer them something that uh, where instead of regular IVF we might do half regular IVF and half injection. And that way they will end up with something fertilized at the end of the day. And it's also very diagnostic for us. It tells us, okay, whatever hypertensive um, medication you're on, this one does not affect sperm binding. So you have very good fertilization, or maybe it does. And then we have the injection side um, where we can we can choose embryos from. So it's, um, again, as you said before, you know, you have to take a lot of these resources. A lot of the research with a grain of salt because it's it's not a hundred percent for every patient. Some patients are very sensitive, and this is how it manifests itself. And other patients, you see no no effects whatsoever. But do you want to risk an IVF cycle just to see? So this that was our answer for the the, the medications that he couldn't change and that might be risky. And that worked out extraordinarily well for us.
0: Okay, um, and like you say, with men. If a man has a normal uh, semen analysis, it becomes less of an issue um, unless it's affecting the DNA and then that would, that would. Correct.
1: Not. Correct. But usually if there's a problem with the DNA, you see other issues. You see um, morphology, they, they don't look right. They don't swim right. Lots of double heads, things like that. You know, it, there, there, there are other flags that fly around. It's, it's not like, ooh, they're so pretty, but their DNA is garbage. Uh, that's very rare.
0: So. Okay. All right, now let's talk about something that a lot of people don't think at all is a over the. They don't think of it in terms of medication because they're not necessarily taking it for medication. And uh, that's, uh, let's start with herbal supplements, but I'd also, uh, but let's include uh, vitamins.
1: Well, vitamins um that's a, a sticky wicket a little bit um generally most multis are pretty good well-tested formulations and when in doubt i i would say to my male patients if they're saying "Well, what do you think if i take this or what do you think if i take that and i'll say well that's fine but i would recommend a, a man's multivitamin and make sure that those ingredients are in there because they'll be in there at the right percentage well
0: no, let me. You're saying you're making a distinction, if I'm understanding you correctly, about rather than taking the uh, vitamins individually to get a multivitamin that combines a number of vitamins. Duh, the name, and then, okay. but that, that they are doing that, but but that the combination is in the proper uh, percentages.
1: Absolutely right. You you got to me before I could say it because I was saying I'm I'm. Of the school, where I take my vitamins separately, but then I pay attention to what I'm taking and I don't overdose on one. But I, I know that in my fertility patients, if a little is good, a lot is a whole lot better. And especially, you know, there's been some uh, uh, press on on zinc that zinc can help infertile men. Yes, and, and if you are zinc deficient, zinc will help you. If you are not zinc deficient, you only need a small amount of zinc. Because it is a heavy metal, it will build up. It can be toxic. You don't want to take a whole bottle of zinc. Uh, if you have a cold, you probably have a system that is zinc deficient. Then it will help you, that type of situation. But the best thing for these guys is a multivitamin. And if they're really particularly stressed, and I can, you can tell, take two. Take what's in the bottle. Sometimes they, the, the manufacturer recommends four a day. That's okay because they're in the proper balance and the right proper ratio so you're not creating an artificial imbalance of something Uh, and that's the thing we have to watch out the most in men
0: okay so what about with women
1: well with women it's pretty straightforward prenatals they're very very good um you know folic acid don't go without it. That's very important, not even just for pregnancy, but when you're trying to get pregnant, that seems to have some help. Any of the B vitamins are very helpful they, because uh, they're the first that are depleted in a stressful situation. So, you know, if you get a good prenatal vitamin, um, that tends to, to check all the boxes. And again, I always tell people, I said, if you're feeling particular, like you're not eating right, you feel that you're not eating right, take, take another one. It's okay. Okay. And they usually come back and tell me how great their hair looks, you know, that type of thing.
0: So. <laughs> you're right. women For women, because we're recommended that to take the prenatals yeah. um, when we're trying they're, to they're, get pregnant. They're yeah.
1: good. They're good generally. They're just a little bit, you know, if you're, if you're stressed, if you're running ragged, um, going here and there, you know, the ultimate soccer mom and you're just beat, prenatal vitamins. They're just a little bit more of everything. And that's what, you know, you need because you're not eating it balanced meals. Our, our foods these days just don't have the nutrients they did 20 years ago. I'm starting to sound like my mother, but it's true. <laughs> you know, it's just not how it used to be. It, and, and so we do need supplements. And But supplements only really help when there's a deficiency. Otherwise, it, you know, you're creating an artificial imbalance. And that's what we have to watch out for as far as vitamins are
0: concerned. All right. Now let's talk about herbal supplements.
1: Yeah, that's that's a little bit of um the black box. Um I you know, the the thing that, that got me with uh, the herbal supplements is by themselves, if you're taking nothing else, they're probably okay. And I know that women love to take them because they think, oh, they're natural and they're just gonna be good yeah, for me and exactly. they'll you know, they'll just counteract everything else that I did today. And if I if I take this tea or this this green drink or whatever. But, you know, um we know from for a fact that, you know certain, most, many of our, our prescription medications have come from plants down the road. And so we have to take this all with a grain. Um, I found a very interesting paper that just described a, a list of things that we we take on a regular basis, things like chamomile or cranberry, ginger, ginseng, and sage, and then listed, if you're taking other medications, how they can either exacerbate a symptom or counteract the functioning of your prescribed necessary medication. And uh, so that was a real that was a real eye opener.
0: Um, yeah, right. we're, we're not talking necessarily about uh, consuming cranberry, eating cranberry cranberry muffins or uh <laughs> tea or adding sage to your stuffing. Um are, are we? I, from my understanding that we're not necessarily talking about consuming this in the proportions when you're eating food
1: no no exactly we're just discussing supplements because if you go to an herbalist they will put the dried these dried herbs in little capsules and you will be taking them at a much higher level than you would normally and you wouldn't just be taking one a day you'd maybe take four or five or six a day a handfuls um Um, people who like, for instance, with ginger, you know, people will make tea out of ginger. They will eat ginger and that, you know, you're infusing dry ginger in water and then you're drinking it. And I use that as a, as an example, because we all love ginger, but when you take it at higher levels, it, um, it exacerbates, if you're taking insulin, for instance, it can, it amplifies the effect of the insulin causing a hypoglycemic situation. So you, of, you know, these things are in, they interact. And that's what I was bringing up. It's like, you have to be careful because some people, yeah, you have to take insulin, but if you're pregnant and you're taking insulin, and then you say, Oh, my stomach's upset. I'm going to have some, I'm going to have ginger tea. I'm going to take my ginger pills because you can buy that Um and it'll make, it'll settle my stomach will And then she starts getting the shakes because she's hypoglycemic and you know, you don't want that. That's what you don't want. And so it's just, Everything you're taking in large doses, in concentrated form, be cautious. There, are, there is information out there your pharmacist might know, um, a dietitian might know. Uh, there are even herbalists out there that probably know what natural products are safe to take with whatever medication you're taking, or even if you're just taking their aspirin therapy, uh, you know, some things can, can counteract or, or can increase the blood thinning effects of the aspirin, stuff like
0: that. Is there anything for uh, that you would specifically recommend that people avoid uh, let's say women um or men uh avoid when they are trying to get pregnant uh either in treatment or out nothing that
1: leaps out just you know you, you know you something that no no that wasn't saying oh my god don't take this you will not ovulate um to be honest even if you're eating a lot of soy which has uh you know the phytoestrogens um it you'd have to eat so much to really affect your normal estrogen levels. This is as an as an, a healthy normal cycling woman that you can't even um, you can't even change the length of your menstrual cycle with with that. So I, I really think that that by itself isn't such a big problem during pregnancy. Again, by themselves, these things are are, are harmless. And maybe help you, but in co- combination with what you're taking, and that's really the only point I was making. It's like if you're going to take some of these supplements, these herbal supplements, just like taking a vitamin supplement or another kind of medication, be aware what else you're taking and see if there's any harmful interaction between the two.
0: Okay, well, this has been so interesting. Thank you so much, Dr. Kathleen Tucker, uh, an embryologist and a reproductive physiologist, to for talking uh, with us today about. Over-the-counter drugs, the impact, and, uh, and very interesting, and I, I really appreciate it. I think it will be helpful for, for everyone. The views expressed in this show are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of creating a family, our partner, or our underwriters. And keep in mind that the information given in this interview is general advice. To understand how to apply it to your specific situation, you need to work with your infertility doctor. Thank you so much for joining us today and I will see you next week.